the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN, Verse by Verse. Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. There's a new day coming in which the children of Israel will be our brothers and our sisters in the faith. And this must have been so meaningful to Paul. He, he loved Israel. He was willing to go to hell for the salvation of his brethren. But I think even beyond that, he was thrilled because finally, to the church at Rome and to all of us, the integrity of God is upheld. Someone told me, if you tell the truth every time, I can always believe you. If you lie to me even once, then I can never believe you. So, did God tell the truth when he made his covenant with Abraham? And if God broke those promises, how can we believe the ones that he has made to us? Welcome to Verse by Verse. Our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today's class begins a two-part message in Pastor Steve's series of lessons from Chapter 11 of the Book of Romans. We have a lot of ground to cover today, so let's begin right now. Here's Pastor Steve. Romans chapter 11 is, is so very, very important. What we believe about Israel affects so much of our theology and so much of our thinking and, and so much of our view of the Bible and issues related to the Bible. Romans chapter 11. One of the hardest experiences in life to go through is a broken promise. I, I think we've we all can agree on that. When someone gives you his or her word and fails to keep it, it, it just hurts. There's no question about it. It's difficult, in fact, to ever believe that person again. You have doubts and reservations, and you just wonder if they broke their promise to you one time, will they do it again? And it really is a problem. Now, when it comes to the, to the gospel, it's not just a problem dealing with life. It's a problem dealing with eternity. God doesn't want us to have any doubts or any reservations about his integrity. And throughout the, the Bible, he, he says things like that. For, for instance, in Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, we read, God is not a man that he should lie. Says something about God's view of man, doesn't it? God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? In other words, God's not like people. God keeps his word in Titus chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, Paul introduces himself to Titus, at least the letter, by saying, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. God cannot lie. God is not a man that he should lie, and God is God, and therefore he cannot lie. When God makes a promise, he keeps it. He keeps it, regardless of how bleak the outlook might look, he keeps it. Throughout the first eight chapters of Romans, Paul has presented the way of salvation. He has taken man from the pit of human depravity 
sinfulness, the sinfulness of the Gentile world, the sinfulness of the Jewish world, and by a process of revealing that God's way of righteousness is found in Christ, he has taken us all the way from the pit of our own human depravity, sinful depravity, all the way up to being a glorified son and daughter of his. In Romans chapter 8, verse 29 and 30, which is really the, the great climax of this uh, this epistle in this sense, at least of salvation sense, he said, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to, his, to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, and whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. From the pit of human depravity to the very glorification as the sons of God. And it is to this glorified or soon-to-be-glorified church that he makes the astounding promise that nothing shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. God, he says, will not go back on his word. God has given you salvation. You are secure. God will not break his promise. God will have you never to have any doubts or reservations about the gospel. But you see, there did arise doubts and reservations about it because long ago, God made wonderful promises to another group of his people. They were not called the glorified sons of God, but they were called Israel or Israel. And the church needs to know if God will be true to his word to these people. Will God keep his promises to Israel? From all observation in the first century, it did not look that way. In fact, from all observations in the 20th century, it doesn't look that way. Yes, I know we're excited uh, about Israel being back in the land, and that is thrilling as they came back in the 1940s, but they didn't come back in belief. That's an unregenerate government. That's a sinful government, and though we endorse their right to exist, we don't endorse everything they do, at least I hope we don't. Politically, it, it doesn't mean that they can't make a mistake. Israel is not back in the land in the sense of restoration. Uh, perhaps we could say there is the process by which God is bringing them back. Even as the exiles from uh, the Babylonian captivity came back in, in sequence. But the final restoration is not here. And so we look around as the first century Christians did and we said, where, we say, where is God's promises to Israel? What promises? Promises of salvation. The new covenant that we just spoke about as we celebrated the Lord's Supper. Where is that? Israel doesn't have a new heart. Israel is in unbelief. Israel doesn't have a kingdom. Israel doesn't have uh, spiritual blessings. They're just struggling to have material blessings now. They don't have salvation. You see, if God breaks one promise to his Jewish people, then we have a legitimate right as his church to doubt his promises to us. If God breaks one of those promises, we have a legitimate right not to believe the gospel. See, basically the issue is this. We have staked our entire eternity upon the trustworthiness of God's word, right? I mean, that's basically what it is. I've staked my entire eternity on the trustworthiness of God's character as revealed in his word. And you have too. If you know Christ, that's, that's the bottom line. If his word cannot be found trustworthy with Israel, then it cannot be found trustworthy with us as the church. And so our eternity is really at stake. That's, that's what we're talking about. And so after Romans chapter 9 and chapter 10, these two chapters, after Paul deals with Israel's unbelief and God's sovereignty, Paul comes to the real issue. And the real issue is found in chapter 11, verse 1. 
I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? That's the real issue. Has God rejected his people whom he said he would never reject? Has God rejected his people whom he made covenant after covenant with them? Has God rejected his people who he said would, would have salvation and the blessings of the spiritual uh, aspects of the new covenant and the material aspects and a kingdom which is part of the material aspects? Has God broken his word to them? Has he cast them aside? Has he rejected them? Have they fallen never to get up again? And the answer is an astounding no. May it never be. Don't even think anything like that. And so from there, Paul proceeds to explain that Israel has been set aside just temporarily. Just temporarily. And not completely. There are a few who believe. There's a remnant. In every age, there's a few Jews who come to faith in, in the Messiah. But not only that, he says that, that not only has Israel been set aside temporarily, but there's a purpose behind it. And the purpose is this, that salvation, as he says in verse 11, has come to the Gentiles. God knows what he's doing. It wasn't that God was caught unaware and said, oh, I didn't figure this out. They wouldn't believe. No, before the foundation of the world, God knew that Israel wouldn't believe. He didn't have a plan B. This is all his plan. And so it says in verse 11, by their transgression, that is the Jewish people's transgression, uh, which, which means the rejection of Christ, salvation has come to the Gentiles. You have heard the gospel like you would have never heard it before. Salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous so that there might be in this day and age a few Jews who would believe. Now, all of that basically is by way of introduction. I really believe that the heart of what Paul wanted to say is found in what we're going to look at this morning. I really believe that that was just preliminaries. I really believe that Paul's heart was aching to say what he says in the verses towards the close of Romans 11, especially verse 26, and thus all Israel will be saved. All Israel will be saved. So explain that. That's what I'm going to do. We had a visitor here last week who came up to me after the message and he said, uh, and I, I'm going over this again because really we didn't cover it Clearly, last week, as far as verses 23 to 29, but I, this visitor came up and said, all Israel must be the remnant. And I said, well, that's next week. He said, but I won't be here next week. So I had to give him a little mini lesson then, but this morning we want to take some time and look at what must have been a delight to Paul's heart to declare that God who had promised salvation to Israel would finally bring it. In fact, Paul opens chapter 10 by saying, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is for their salvation. And now he has the great joy of saying that prayer is going to be answered. Israel will be saved. Israel will be restored. So let's, let's look at that as we continue our study of God setting Israel aside just temporarily. God's setting aside of Israel is not final. We said it's not full, first of all, because there's a remnant. We also said it's not futile because there's redemption. And now we're saying that it is not final because there is a future restoration for the people of the sons of Jacob or the children of Israel. Now, to illustrate the future restoration of Israel, Paul has used a root and branches of a tree. And we explained it last week. We said the root is Abraham. He's the origin of the nation. Uh, the patriarchs, perhaps it, it expands also to Isaac and to Jacob, but primarily it's Abraham. He is the root. He is not speaking here of Christ, Christ being the root. 
And this is not John 15, where I am the vine, you're the branches. This is a different context, a different message. This is something else. The root is Abraham and the covenant made to him. That's where it all began. That's the origin of the Jewish nation. Abraham, I'll make you a great nation. I'll give you a land. I'll give you a seed. In your seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And that seed is Christ. So the root is Abraham. The, the privileges and religious blessings that flow to a people, the Jewish people in particular, stemmed from Abraham and the root. Now the branches are Israel. And this, just very, very briefly, is by way of review, because I don't want you to be lost at this point. The branches are Israel. All of Israel. The believing remnant and the majority of unbelievers. He's not speaking here a dichotomy. He says in verse uh, 17, but if some of the branches were broken off, he speaks of some branches being broken off. Now, which branches would be broken off? Now, if all the branches originally were the nation of Israel, which stemmed out from the root of Abraham, his loins out of his loins formed the Jewish people. If some of these branches were broken off, who could they be? Those who have been set aside. Who set aside? The unbelieving majority of Jewish people. The nation has been temporarily set aside. They have, in Paul's uh, language, they have been broken off. They are no longer in the place of blessing. Israel is not in the place of blessing right now. But he says in verse 17, and you, and who is the you? He says in verse 13, but I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles, but you being a wild olive. Did you know that you were a wild olive? You thought you were pretty wild, but you didn't know that wild, right? You were a wild olive, were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree. These are the Gentiles who, who make up the church. These have been grafted in. Other branches, Israel has been set aside. The Gentile church has been grafted in. And you stand now based upon the covenant God made with Abraham. But the Gentile church is in danger, always has been in danger of pride and arrogance and thinking that we are better than the Jewish people because look what we have. And they forfeited their chance. They blew it. All through the ages, the church has had to fight anti-Semitism. That, that anti-Semitic attitude that stems from thinking that we're better. That attitude that says we're more deserving. Look at them. Look what they did. Look, look how they're so involved in legalism, but we are not. And we have to be so careful. You see, this is a complete reversal of Old Testament Jewish thinking. The Old Testament Jew was bigoted, and he was proud, and he thought that God only knew him and not the Gentiles, not the Goyim, not the dogs. They even had a name for the Gentiles, the dogs. In fact, I, I guess the greatest illustration of bigotry from an Old Testament Jew was was with Jonah the prophet. Prophet as he was, God said, I want you to go and proclaim the, the word, the message to Nineveh. And Jonah got on the first boat going in the opposite direction. And it was just bigotry. No, they are so sinful and wicked, and they really were. Nineveh was a horrible place. The Assyrians were horribly wicked. And Jonah said, I'm not going there. I don't want them to repent. I don't want you to bless them. They look terribly down upon the Gentiles. But now it's sort of reversed, isn't it? The Gentile church looks down upon the Jews and says, look what they've done and look at their unbelief. And I, I'm really not interested in them. I'm just very content in my own little world. 
Well, look at verse 18. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. That's what Paul says. Paul anticipates, in one sense, 2,000 years of anti-Semitic tendencies within the church. And I might add that if you ever have studied church history, you would come away having a deeper appreciation for what I'm talking about with anti-Semitism. In witnessing to a Jewish person, don't ever encourage them to read church history. Not after they're saved and grounded. And do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. Remember that you're just in the place of blessing because of a Jewish root, Abraham. You will say then branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Paul agrees with you. You're right. He doesn't agree with that attitude. He says, you're right. They were broken off that you might be grafted in, but they were broken off for their unbelief. And you stand only for your, by your faith. They weren't broken off because they were any less than you. as a matter of faith. Do not be conceited. Don't be high-minded. Don't look down upon them, but fear. Now, why should you have a fear? For if God did not spare the natural branches, that is Israel, if he cut them off, neither will he spare you. Behold then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell severity. But to you kindness, if you continue in his kindness, otherwise you will be cut off. You see, the issue is faith. Not superiority of Jew over Gentile, but faith. And there's coming a day, as we said last week, when the Gentile church will be cut off. Now this is not the true church, but this is what we would call Christendom. This is what we would call perhaps Christianity, which encompasses both the apostate church and the believing church. There is an aspect of what is called the church that is unbelieving. Unbelieving Gentiles that call themselves the church, but they deny the deity of Christ. They criticize the Bible. They want to say there are all kinds of errors in the Bible, and they pervert the gospel. That is the liberal apostate church, and it will be cut off from the place of blessing. It will be not the true church. You say, but wait a minute. At least I'm assuming you say, but wait a minute. Were they ever really in the place of blessing? I mean, all of these things that you read in the religious section of the newspapers, and, and most of it is made up of churches that would come under this category, at least the uh, crossroads section of the St. Pete Times, that's what I'm talking about. Most of that is the liberal apostate church. Were they ever really in the place of blessing? In a sense, yes. In a sense, yes. By their identification with the true church, and their, their association with some true Christians, some of the blessings of salvation, we could say, have splashed on them. It's the same thing like uh, an unbelieving uh, spouse married to a believing spouse. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, there is a sanctifying of that unbelieving spouse just by their association with the believer. So yes, in one sense, the, those who associate with the true church get the blessings too, at least in some sense. But there is coming a day when the false Gentile church will be cut off from the place of blessing. And when will that be? That will be at the rapture. The true church goes. First Thessalonians chapter 4. The dead in Christ rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet him in the air, and thus shall we ever be with the Lord. I don't know what the world's going to say when we're gone, but they are going to have to come up with something incredible. Because they're sure not going to say, oh, the Bible was right. Some of them perhaps will, but you see, there'll be, in one sense, a church left here, a majority, and they'll say something like, those fundamentals must be up to something, fundamentals must be up to something strange, because the majority will be left here, and the majority of Christendom is the liberal apostate church, 
And then when the church is raptured, the true church, then a period in the Bible known as the tribulation will begin, or the time of Jacob's trouble, because it's primarily dealing with Israel. So the issue is faith. Now, if the Gentile apostate church can and will be cut off because of her unbelief, the question is this, can Israel be grafted back in if she would believe? Could she? Would God do that? The answer is yes, verse 23. And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. See, it's possible. I mean, that's all Paul is saying at this point. It is possible. God is able to do it. If they were to believe in their Messiah. In fact, I want you to know it wouldn't be very difficult at all. Verse 24. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more shall these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? That's a very interesting verse. Very interesting. And I really believe a little bit of understanding of the grafting procedure of olive trees will help us understand this verse. I came across this week a quote by a man by the name of W.M. Thompson in a book he wrote called The Land and the Book. And here's what he has to say about the olive tree and the grafting in process. Now listen carefully, because Paul says in verse 24 that you were grafted contrary to nature. And if you don't understand about the grafting process, this, this verse is a little bit hard to understand. I quote, The olive in its natural wild state bears no berries, or but few, and these small and destitute of oil. The olive is wild by nature and must be grafted by the good before it will bear fruit. But here the apostle speaks of grafting the wild into the good, right? Into the Abrahamic root. Not the good upon the wild. Observe, he expressly says that this is contrary to nature as it really is. He writes, I have made particular inquiries in, uh, on this point and find that in the kingdom of nature generally, certainly in the case of the olive, the process referred by the apostle never succeeds. Graft the good upon the wild, and as the Arabs say, it will conquer the wild. But you cannot reverse the process with success. If you insert a wild graft into a good tree, which is what God has done, I might add, it will conquer the good. It is only in the kingdom of grace that a process thus contrary to nature can be successful. And it is this circumstance which the apostle has seized upon at, with admirable tact to magnify the mercy shown to the Gentiles by grafting them a wild race contrary to the nature of such operations into the good olive tree. Now, there are some who come along and say, Paul has made a mistake. Doesn't he know this? Obviously, Paul knew this. He didn't, he didn't grow up in New York City. I mean, we're very few trees. He grew up in this area of the world. He obviously knew what he was talking about. And that's why he said it is contrary to nature. Now, read, let's read verse 24 again. You'll have more understanding. If you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more shall these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? If God did something completely unnatural in the, in the world of olive trees, in the literal world of olive trees, how much easier will it be that he does something natural 
in the world of, of olive trees. And let me, let me get away from olive tree terminology and put it in our terminology. What Paul is really saying is this. Don't you Gentiles uh, glory over the Jews' present estate. Don't glory over it. Don't, don't be high-minded. If God can do such an unnatural thing as graft you, you people, into a good tree, then how much more easily could God graft natural branches into their own olive tree? I mean, after all, it is their own olive tree. Let me put it on the lower shelf. If God could take idolatrous, superstitious pagans and bring them to the Jews' religion, then how much easier will it be for God to take the Jewish people who have gone astray and bring them back to their own religion? That's what he's really saying. Pastor Steve Kreloff will continue this two-part message on the next Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These radio classes, based on his Sunday messages, are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. You can find us on the web at versebyverseradio.org. I'm glad you were here with us for today's class, and I hope you'll be back for the encouraging conclusion. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.